You're listening to the Deadly Uncle Podcast. A safe space for Deadly Uncle Conversations. All right, everybody, on today's episode, we have Tony Tatusis. Yes, and he's also known as Tony Too Sick. Um, this man actually found a better life for himself when he got back into his dancing and music. That's right. He is a rapper, a beat maker, and, and he's also the founder and organizer of the Four Winds Market and Showcase based in Calgary, Alberta. Yes, it's going to be spreading and getting bigger and bigger. This year, he hooked up with Chinook Blast, also in co with the city of Calgary. That's right. So stick around. You're not going to want to miss more with Tony Tusick. Yeah, so uh, I'm Cree from Palmaker, Saskatchewan. Tusick is my artist name. I got, my last name is Tutusis, so that's kind of how I came about with that name. Just kind of friends gave me that name growing up, nickname that kind of I adopted throughout my early adult life. Um, I actually started music as a guitar player. A lot of people don't know that about me. Um, when I was about eight years old, eight or nine years old, my mom bought me a guitar from a pawn shop because I had a friend who played and that's where I kind of started writing songs and things like that. Um, before I was Tony Tusick and when I was maybe like 18, 19, I actually used to go to bars and stuff like that and play in bars. I, I've busked before. Really, yeah, like <laughs> but I've just kind of always been that's always been my thing, singing music and um, got into audio engineering, making beats and doing stuff like that around 20, 20 years old. And then kind of everything evolved, having a studio in my house all the time. I was able to speak my own story, and yeah, that's how it all just kind of evolved from one thing after another. Nice. So, tell us a little bit like you know, I seen from some of your posts there that you know, dancing has re entered your life, you know, and you know, a little bit of, of, of your your road to, you know, finding the drum and finding dancing again. Uh, tell us a bit about how, how that all came about. Yeah, so I, from when I could, I couldn't even walk, my mom says I was dancing at a very young age, like as young as how my daughter is now. And, um, you know, for about first 14, 15 years of my life, that's all I needed, the power trail with my mom, everything like that. Didn't have a father growing up. <clears throat> Sorry, I didn't have a father growing up, so that was like something that me and my mother had. Just us, we were on the power trail all summer long and gigs around the city and stuff like that. But I got pushed away from it from bullying in high school. I had long braids, I had braids down to my, you know, down to my hips. And um, yeah, I got bullied for it from other kids. So I went to Prince Charles Elementary. It's like an Aboriginal school here. And then they didn't have funding past grade four. The Sherbrooke school had just shut down at that time. So I had to go to like, you know, uh, just regular public school. And that's where things started to change for me. I started noticing teachers were treating me different. You know, I didn't have indigenous teachers. And um, yeah, the kids were different. Like, you know, the older classes you know, kind of picked on me and things like that. As I got into junior high, I started kind of pushing myself away from it. Just, you know, I, I did performance school, my school a couple of times and that's where ultimately I got bullied the most after, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just got to the point where I cut my braid off. And that pushed me, pushed me away, and I started kind of hanging out with the cool kids, and yeah, the rest kind of just went. Let one thing led after another, and that pushed me away from my culture for, you know, close close to fifteen years. Mm-hmm. It took me away from my family. You know, I went down some pretty dark roads, some pretty dark stories, substance abuse, gang violence, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, within the last like, you know, when you get it. No, a cycle can repeat itself so many times before you get 
sick of it or you realize you have to make a self change, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's where it all comes from yourself first to break those cycles. So um, I found out I was having my daughter. I found out my wife was pregnant and that's when I was like, the real change needed to happen, right? Um, so I went to school for audio engineering, graduated like around that time when we started planning it all out, right? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, had my daughter kind of separated from everything like that. And then how I got brought back to the power circle is a cool story actually. For years before I actually started dancing again, I was having dreams about it. Oh, yeah. And um, yep. yeah, it was, I, don't, I never really shared that with anybody, but I was having dreams, I was dancing all the time and I was like that was something and then just felt like my spirit was being called back right mm. something I missed all those years and uh, I took my daughter to Thunder Child Saskatchewan to go meet my cookum and to the powwow there and take her to the first powwow and I couldn't go around my family without them being like oh my god here's an outfit try it on and <laughs> So I tried it on just to surprise my cookum, my mom and everybody. And of course they're all crying. They haven't seen me dance in 15 years. I'm, I think I was like one of the last males. Like I have a couple cousins and nephews that are really young now that dance, mm -hmm. but there was a big gap where there wasn't any male influence in our family, right? Okay. Yeah. And so I was the last one and I stopped dancing. So for those 15 years, really missed that, right? And yeah, that's that was the, like basically I walked my first grand entry, I danced that whole weekend and they sent me home with the, the regalia and a roach and I still had all my old feathers from before and then so the wow. rest was that yeah and I've been dancing every weekend a new chance I get now since yeah that's since. amazing that's amazing because like you know I, I think it's a huge part of of who we are and you know how did you decide or who decided that you were a grass dancer my mom Okay. Yeah, yeah. My mom decided that. I think, okay. I believe so. Anyways, like so, when I was younger, like my mom's never danced powwow in her life. She makes regalia. She does all. She goes to powwows her whole life. She's my mom. Actually, a fluent Cree speaker. Okay. And um, you know, so she was teaching us Cree and things like that's another thing that actually, when I lost my dance, I lost my language too. I can mm -hmm. still understand, but I, you know, I was learning. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, people say that like my mom taught me everything I knew when I was a kid. And even now I remember my mom, like she'd be on the sidelines telling me, hold your arms up higher, or move your head more and things like that, right? So That's because awesome. I didn't have that male influence, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't have a male grass dancer gift me the dance as a kid, mm. you know? And mm. so ultimately like my mother had to make those decisions and those choices for me at a young age. And yeah, that's what, it, that's what it's been my whole life. And when I came back, I was, yeah, I was, definitely a grass dancer right like that's what mm -hmm. i wanted uh but i'm looking at switching it up next year too oh, oh what well, what's the are you are you letting something out here today or what oh well next year i want to try some chicken dance i always wanted to dance no chicken way. as a kid yeah wow so like my mom didn't make bustles and things like that growing up mm -hmm. so we didn't have the money to buy a bustle yeah but i always wanted to dance chicken or fancy when i was younger mm -hmm. now that i'm older and i'm like living in Blackfoot country now as a cream man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you gotta pick something up, right? Take it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, you said you started playing music, you were a guitar player. Yeah. When did you start doing hip hop? And like, did that, did your entry into hip hop kind of like correlate with your dark path? I'm only asking because like hip hop has like a, 
people see it sometimes in a negative light, right? Yeah. Because it's about street life and street culture. But did that all kind of like morph together for you? Is that how yeah. you kind of moved into it? So like when I think back to even like my first experiences with hip hop music, uh, it takes me back to like 124th and 118th, like Inglewood area. That's where I grew up. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, just kind of being around with like, you know, the little hoodlums and some of the kids that grew up in that area, you know, we stayed out late, did things like that. But that was like, where I remember my first time sitting with people just like freestyle rapping and mm -hmm. things like that. So yeah, I would say like, you know, if you're familiar with the area, especially back in like early 2000s, like late 90s, it wasn't the nicest area, right? Yeah. But yeah, those would be like my first experience with that. So as I could remember back to eight years old, 10 years old, even with that, like, yeah, just sitting out there, you know, shooting dice, playing with, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and rapping yeah. with some of the neighborhood, like native kids, right? Like that's yeah. how it was. and. The yeah. older kids. So my older brother is actually five years older than me. Yeah. So he would be a lot of the influence that I have in, like, a lot of the things that I do now. So my brother struggles with substance abuse, well, alcoholism and things like that mm -hmm. now. But um, prior to that, you know, like, he skateboarded, he rapped, he breakdanced, he danced powwow. He did all those things that I actually do now. So it's cool. And, and, like, you know, I pray for my brother every day, love the guy. You know, sometimes we don't get along, but mm -hmm. a lot of the things that like I do now are like reflections of what he kind of passed on to me as the younger kid, because that was my male influence role model, right? Growing yeah, up. yeah. A lot of times, I think that's how it is when you know your father is not so much in your life. It's it's your older uncles. It's your you know, yeah. Who, it's like the the tribe taking care of you, you know, and, and that's how it was in our older days, you know. So I can see why. You know, you, you took influence on your older brother. Oh, yeah, in that sure. sense, you know. So I just wanted to ask you too about, uh, you know, your you got a little bit of a, a injury on your hand there. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit <laughs> about uh, how so, that happened? So I'm telling people it's skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. can we get the truth though here today? <laughs> Yeah, okay, I'll give, you, I'll give you the truth because I could tell you knew it wasn't skateboarding when I walked in the door. Um, so I was performing actually at a music festival. I'm not going to name any names or anything. Yeah. Um, I was invited out to a music festival. And so how these things work is, you know, these organizers put on the festival and they'll contract out stages. And they contract out PA guys and things like that. So they contracted out an external sound guy. So I'll just add that in there. It wasn't anything to do with the festival. It was all a big misunderstanding at the end of the day, but drove five hours to be out at this festival and as I had a really cool idea to walk around and find indigenous women and have red handprints put onto my clothing because I didn't have an outfit to wear yeah I was like struggling I was you know I'm gonna wear all black I'll find women you know and then what I'm gonna do is just speak about the highway of tears and things like that and like, yeah bring awareness right that's kind yeah. of what I've shifted a lot of my platform towards and I'm scheduled to be on stage for like 30 minutes right and I'm scheduled from 6.50 to 7.20. I get on stage at like 7.15. You know how these things go, yeah, you know? Yeah, everyone's running behind or whatever. Yeah, so I get on stage and I'm like, I have exactly 30 minutes set, constructed, like rehearsed, everything like that, right? And I let them know, I'm like, cool, like this is the time I'm gonna be off here. So I'm performing, I'm on stage for about five, five minutes and then, then I start speaking about the red hand prints and like, I start, you know, speaking about that and then you know, I had some guy come up and unplug my mic and tell me it's time to get off the stage. I was like, what? And I was like, are you gonna like, let me finish speaking or, and like perform at least one last song for them? And he was like, nah, like you're done. Right. And I was, so the issue that I had was that I was actually invited out there by the landowners 
for this yeah. music festival. Oh, okay. It's on an indigenous, it's on indigenous land. Like it's on sure. a reserve. Yeah. I'm not gonna say any names of where it is or give it away <laughs> or anything yeah. like that. But you know, I was invited up by the family that owns the land. They wanted some sort of indigenous representation at this music festival, right? So, uh, well, you can tell us once the camera stop. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't yeah. do anything like that. I'm not in trouble or anything. So, you know, I performed my last song. I gave them a like just one of my like most hype songs. I gave a really good performance. Um I gave I gave my speech. I said what I needed to say, like talking about, you know, land back and things like that, you know, just let them know that they're on indigenous land and that I felt disrespected about them. It was just bad timing, you know what I mean? Yeah. The guy cut me off one song later, it wouldn't have meant so much to me, but it was just in that moment. Yeah, and with the adrenaline and the song that I played was more of a mosh pit kind of style. So I was in the crowd, like jumping with people. And <laughs> yeah. I said what I needed to say. I walked off the stage and with the adrenaline, I ended up hitting a fence. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so yeah. I do have that's one thing that I'm struggling with right now. And so being in a place like with there's a lot of alcohol there mm -hmm. and there was people like substance around everywhere. I'm nine months sober actually today. Right. On, checked out the calendar. Yeah. But so. Just being in that environment, they were offering me drinks. I was like, I don't drink. You know, one thing kind of led to another. They didn't have food for me. They had drinks instead. A lot of people, it was triggering for me. Yeah, I was already, tough, you know, and then, then I got onto the stage when I was trying to say what I needed to say and people were listening and people were booing the guy and things like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. just in the heat of the moment. And that's something that I need to take care of, but it's just in the heat of the moment. I don't know, I, I, I punched what I thought was a fence and it was actually a tree trunk. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, I don't have the pictures on here, but basically <laughs> these bones popped all the way back here. Yeah. Oh, man. I didn't break anything. The doctor said it was a one in a million chance. Wow. Didn't fracture anything like that. It, they just popped out. So the festival drove me over to the hospital, yeah. popped it back in place. And then I was wow. back there. The My dad's day. got a lump on his hand permanently from punching, not a fence. <laughs> <laughs> Because he wasn't smart enough to go to the, the hospital after, but yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, I I was like kind of mad at myself. I was down on myself about the whole thing, you know? I was mm -hmm. self-inflicted. I There's one thing that I'm really trying to, I don't go out and just like hit stuff or do anything like that anymore. When mm -hmm. I was younger, I was very angry. Yeah. And one of the reasons I stepped away from alcohol was that like, you know, I got emotional and it, it was triggering for me and I, you know, I can't control myself when I get angry, especially yeah. alcohol didn't make it any better. Yeah. And so I didn't want that for myself anymore. And so I was down on myself. And then one thing that like my, my, uh, my wife, my partner said was that, you know, like I'm proud of you because you know, like five years ago, you, you probably would have hit somebody else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you would have hit somebody and you would have, it would have been a bigger deal. And I kind of just hit it and I walked away. I was walking to the car and then I looked at my hand. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, that is. <laughs> so you stopped drinking nine months ago, and yeah. you've been obviously performing in places where there's alcohol around. Yeah. As somebody who, like, I quit drinking three years ago, and it was tough for me to go back and perform. Like, I, I grew up as a bar entertainer, right? Like, I played in bars all the time. There's always booze around. And it was hard for me when I first quit because I wouldn't go play for a while. Like, I wouldn't... People would call me for a gig, and I'd say, "No, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to come out. Like, I don't want to be around alcohol right now. You know, like I, I wasn't ready." So, is that something that you went through, and how did you work through that? If you're, or are you still working through it? Like, still working through it every day. Mm -hmm. um, so I work like 
what I do for work is I'm an audio engineer as well. I record music for people, primarily hip-hop music, so insane at those sessions, you know, a lot of the guys come in, friends, my clients, things like that, they'll come in with a bottle of liquor. Mm. And so from when I had my daughter, I knew that I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit drinking for sure. And, uh, but that was something I struggled with from, you know, the whole pregnancy, pretty close to like her first birthday. I wasn't drinking all the time an alcoholic. I never in my life kept beer in the fridge, go home, drink or anything like that. But when I'm sitting at the studio and I'm recording music and someone has a bottle of Hennessy or some beer or something, they're like, yo, you don't turn up with me. And I'm the engineer. And I was like, I was, I guess, just quick to give in to the temptation all the time. And even if I didn't want to, I'd always find myself one or two. And then it just got to a point where I was just sick of that every time, you know, I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm here to work. And I used to go out, party, all that stuff, right? But yeah, I just took it step by step, you know what I mean? Like, um, in the studio, I knew that that was the first step. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't drink liquor, come home anymore, be tired and not hold my baby anymore. Because mm. that's what it was getting to, to a point where it's, you know, I got home from the studio at midnight and I've been drinking and my baby's still awake, but I'm like too drunk or tired to do anything with the family. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just, I cut that up and then, yeah, it took a long time. It took about a year almost to actually fully yeah. stop. Mm -hmm. like, you know, it'd be, I'm not trying to drink and then I'll, I give in yeah. and things like that. Or, um, and then going to shows. So I had my first couple shows and it was actually Halloween 2021. So last year, Halloween. And I was really trying to quit, but it was my first time getting a performance gig away from my daughter with a babysitter that wasn't, that was in a club or anything like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like a last minute headliner and I just decided I'd never performed sober in my life. Like mm -hmm. as Tony too sick or as too sick music. Right. Yeah. So I just kind of freaky. Yeah. First, I, I right? put the yeah. goal in mind and I was like, you know what? I came here to have fun. I'm going to have a couple drinks tonight but I'm gonna have a couple drinks after I perform and see how that goes and see if I can hold off to that temptation. You know, mm -hmm. a room full of people, everything like that. And it worked and I performed, I had one drink and I, I wasn't even drunk tipsy. I caught a cab, went home to my daughter, you know, like talked to grandma about how the night was. She was a babysitter that night and it felt good. And so that's when I knew I had to quit. Mm -hmm. And so I quit that day and then I, messed up and had a drink on Christmas and then I was like why did I even have a drink on Christmas and then I just mm -hmm. that was it for yeah. me so actually Christmas day is my That's cool. is the day I quit right the last moment. beer I had and I only had one <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I I feel that and uh you know even with um like what's your stance on you know your regalia you know around you know yeah. situations with um, alcohol and festivals and those type of things you know that's one of the one of the questions that you know a lot of you know uh, artists and and people in the community have with our with our outfits right should yep. we have them because like I mean what's the difference between North Country Fair and the River Cree for a big uh, you know, Treaty 7 or Treaty 6 or Calgary Gallop, yeah. Pete or anything you know, like that. Like I was going to say a whole lot of hallucinogenic drugs, but... <laughs> but yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, with, yeah. when you're talking about alcohol, you know? Yeah, but no, yes, for sure. Yeah, I, know, I get you on that. North <laughs> yeah. Country, North Country Fair. There might be some acid there. There might yeah. be some other stuff. <laughs> yes, there might be some crazy stuff, but... 
for the alcohol part. Like, yeah. I really don't think that there is much of a difference between like a festival and then a big corporate event that where they're paying us huge money, right? Yeah. So, what's your stats on, on on all that? How do you feel about about that? Um, so just like and how I've always been taught, there's no place for alcohol in the circle at all, right? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and like that's just always how it's been for me. I've never even. You know, coming back and seeing that there is some of that going on, or yeah. you know, even you know, going out to the powwows and you see like you hear stories, I guess, as you hear mm -hmm. things, and I'm kind of like you know, that's, things have really changed mm -hmm. in a sense, and yeah, like it's 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 tough to see for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't I don't support that at all. Mm -hmm. um, so like it, outfits, it's, right? Like yeah. outfits around around that, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And like even for me too. Like I've done gigs before like so I've done music festivals where I've been invited out and I go out and dance and I'm like sitting there and I'm like you know you know I actually leave my eagle feathers in the car yeah. as opposed to actually bringing them up yeah. and I'm actually considering uh, having a whole separate regalia made that I actually only use for those type of situations um, I have just, a drum for that yeah it's like same thing it's like I wouldn't want to bring like something that I actually like that's very sacred to me I would mm -hmm. make it myself and you know kind of do it that way but yeah I've, trying to find ways, I guess, to adapt mm -hmm. into like modern day society as an indigenous person and a dancer too. And still, mm -hmm. cause there's always, like you said, there's always, there's the right and the wrong ways, but there's also, we still have to adapt in certain ways too. Right. Mm -hmm. But like with substance and things like that, it's tough. It's a tough one, right? It is. Um, it is. It's a tough situation, especially when, you know, a lot of these, like if you're talking about the, you know, the, 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 the hugest meetings in, in Treaty 7, or sorry, not Treaty 6, I keep saying Treaty 7, in Treaty 6, Treaty 7, you know, the, uh, around Canada, you know, those huge meetings where, you know, they have all, all of our leaders there, there's usually alcohol inside those, yep. those uh, you yep. know, dinners and, you know, where we're performing and stuff. So, you know, it's, it's a really, uh, it's an interesting position. I know a lot of dancers that will not dance, or like you said, come up with a whole different regalia that is um, not traditional, right? For these yeah. situations, because, you know, yeah, we're in a different world, right? Yeah, you and know, I've had that sure. too, where I've like come out to like community events or something and I'm booked by like a non-indigenous company and I get that I don't know what's going on and you know, I'm like, they want me to come out and speak and perform my music and then, oh, by chance we saw you dance, can you dance as well? And, sure, yeah. And then we get there and there's alcohol and I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. and I think it's just lack of education too, and lack of knowledge mm -hmm. for like the non-indigenous community. They don't yeah. realize that these certain things aren't acceptable, you know, acceptable in our circle, right? And yeah. So yeah, it's just we need to get out there more, like voice up more, and educate, educate mm -hmm. some more. Okay. So being, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I gotta ask this question. It's a real question. Um, you know, being a dancer and being not from Treaty Seven. And, you know, being in a performing artist, you know, situation, um, how have you felt, you know, welcomed in Treaty 7? And have you uh, struggled, you know, uh, getting into the scene over there? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real question. No comment. <laughs> no, I've definitely, uh, I've had my ups and downs. For sure. That's awesome. Definitely voiced some of them. No, um, 
Actually, like, first of all, I just want to say I'm, like, very grateful to be able to do what I do on, in Treaty 7 territory. Um, yeah. Yep. You know, they've actually, for the most part, been very welcoming. Yeah. And as a Korean man, I don't think a lot of them even realize I'm Korean until I know I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I think a lot of it, what it is, too, is I get a lot of, like, uh, respect and attention from the younger community. Mm -hmm. Like, younger generation really looks up to what I do and uh, really helping pave the way and set example for them, right? And so I've gotten a lot of, like, love and appreciation from that. And then as a dancer, and I guess just things like that, I've had, I have had my difficulties before where it's some of the people I guess are kind of stuck in the ways where it's like, well they want to show Blackfoot representation or they want to show like treaty specifically only treaty seven representation um I've definitely voiced up how I feel about that I've been in treaty seven for a long time um well I was born and raised here in Edmonton but I moved out there in my adult life to actually get away from that you know the lifestyles that I was living here and things like yeah. that um so kind of like you know help build up a community there and what I do and everything like that and so I believe that I'm important to the scene and, yep. you know, to the generation and things like that and so that my story can really help a lot of people, a lot mm -hmm. of younger people. And I always make a point that, like, what I do is, it's not for me. I don't do things for yeah. money. I don't do it for clout and for the fame because if I was to push that route, I would have been doing it. But I've always, I prefer the longer route, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because the community route. Yeah. 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 I prefer that, like, 100% now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um and I think it's important to remember for everybody, too, that in these urban centers, I mean, there's Indigenous people from all across Canada that live there. Yeah. So, I mean, you, do, you have just as much right mm -hmm. to be representing Cree people in that community as they do have people representing Blackfoot culture. I know it's their traditional territory, yeah. but there's a lot of Cree people that live in Calgary, a yeah. lot of Soto people. Mm -hmm. you, know, sure. you know, so it's like we need to, I think, as a community, we need to drop those barriers a little more and just be more accepting of everybody that lives in our... In yeah, our oh yeah, for right? sure. I mean, I, I speak a lot about it, like, with lateral violence and things like that. I really believe that we are stronger together know, as one nation or as, like, one community, right? Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's tribes and we need everybody needs to be educated and there's so much to learn about Indigenous culture, you know? Yeah. Um, but for us to really thrive in, like, uh, urban urban culture or, like, modern day society we all we need to stick together primarily yeah we need to support each other's businesses yeah. like today at tp treat tp treats they had yep. an event people were there that's what we need to do as indigenous people support our businesses support yeah. our artists you know lift each other up yeah that's yeah important. create uh create uh create opportunities <laughs> for each other and you know and that's another thing like even with uh you know doing something like the screening i did it created some opportunities that had nothing to do with me and had nothing to do with the screening, but it had to do with the community getting together and coming up with ideas, yeah. you know, which is amazing. That's what we're doing. That's why we do these things. And yeah. yeah and, and if we didn't, if we were, you know, selfish with those things, it wouldn't get as big. And yeah, we all need to stick together for sure. Yeah. And we're all connected to this land in some way or another. So yeah. like even going back into my family tree, so yes, I'm Cree. I'm from Treaty Six. I'm from Palmaker, Saskatchewan. But Palmaker was actually adopted by the Crowfoot family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like he lived in in Sixika. He was actually buried at Blackfoot Crossing until 2016. And so a lot of that too was like when I was getting these opportunities, I was speaking up on that. Like I'm representing that history. That like my ancestor as a Tatusis man, like yellow mud blanket, first Tatusis family member ever. That was Palmaker's brother. 
Mm-hmm. And so, so that's your family. That's family. I have yeah. family ties to that, and then my family has ties to. So, Powmaker wouldn't be the man. He wouldn't be without, you know, the life that he lived in Black in Blackfoot country. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I wanted to represent that and speak on that. And I don't think my voice was heard on that. It was more of, a, oh, you're Cree from Treaty Six, and I've lost a couple opportunities from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I voiced it up, and I've gained more from it. I've, you know, I've reached the void, the ears of the right people, and. Mm-hmm. Just trying to help make that change for other yeah. people because I was I've seen other stories. It wasn't just me, you know what I mean. Like I, it wasn't just personal. Yeah, it was just help speak up for the voices of other people that it was happening to as well. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. I helped a little bit, you know, if I can mm-hmm. leave a footprint in any way, mm-hmm. then that's what I'm here for, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I've uh, myself experience over in Treaty Seven, um, very welcoming as well. Uh, just it takes a lot longer to get uh, welcomed into the scene over there I think even as a person from there you know because it's surrounded by the three different uh, very strong tribes Mm -hmm. around the you know center of of Calgary so you know it's just a little tougher to get in there I find it you know and I've spoke to a lot of other people that said that uh, you know the scene that the Edmonton scene was a little easier to get into um, and get accepted into. It yeah. just takes a little longer. It's a different space. Yeah. There's different tribes surrounding it, but you know all positivity to it. And, you know yeah. I, I've been lucky to to be accepted over there and they're to just, do some things. They're just greedy with that beautiful land. What's that? I said they're just greedy with that beautiful land. <laughs> <laughs> the land is amazing. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some of the most beautiful land trees. Definitely. So tell us about how did you come up with the idea of uh, your indigenous markets and all, all these things that you've been throwing on? Um, so I guess pre-COVID, I had a promotion company where I used to go out to nightclubs and you know host my own events, hip hop, hip hop events, things like that. Put on local talent. Um, and then after COVID, you know, obviously that took, COVID took a lot of that away from me. I couldn't do it anymore. And then I kind of changed my whole lifestyle. Um, once shows kind of started going up again and there was, you know, things happening again, I was kind of sitting around waiting for the bookings to happen or people to look out to me. So like during COVID, I was probably one of the only artists in my community putting music out because I could record at home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was friends with all the guys that do my media, so it was easy to do. We didn't care about the restrictions, you know. We just yeah. did it, and um, yeah. So I was kind of waiting around, and nothing really happened. You know, I missed out on a bunch of like local stuff that was going on. People were kind of overseeing me, but at the same time, I'm producing and bringing to life all these other artists, and I'm watching them kind of just overstep me. Like the new generation come in, I'm producing their music for me, and then I kind of just out with the old and with the new. Is kind of how it felt for me, and I was like. Yeah. But then I kind of, it also felt like as soon as I started speaking up for my indigenous people and doing things like that, I started losing those opportunities. Like there was a pattern, there was something to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm doing this. I'm speaking out about this. And then suddenly I'm not on stage with these big names in the nightclubs anymore. I didn't know what it was really. It's hard to target it for me, like specifically what it was, mm-hmm. but I just noticed a lack of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then I started to realize, I started speaking to some of my like, my like, some people I looked up to, like Dreesus became a really good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he'd been around the Calgary scene for a while. And um, he had said, you know, said some of the same things to me. He's like, you know, like, there's just, there wasn't, there was a lack of opportunity for indigenous artists, mm-hmm. like events and things like that, right? For him to come up and he would advise me to kind of get out. He's like, you know, just go, go out. You're an indigenous artist and speak for the community. Do bigger than just Calgary. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. get out there and speak to everybody that in our community. 
And so that really like motivated me to create opportunity within Calgary, you know? Mm -hmm. And just that's how it kind of came together was I didn't have a stage for myself. So I just kind of created a stage, but I'm not the type of person to create something for myself. So if actually, if you're at my first event, I didn't even perform. Mm -hmm. I performed one song mm -hmm. at the end of the hip hop event and everything, but I created the whole stage for everybody else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Going out and you know meeting you and meeting mm -hmm. Lena and Ashley Ghostkeeper and yeah. artists like that. I was like, this needs to be brought to Calgary. Like we need to do yeah. this here. I Am Collective was a very big inspiration for that. Mm -hmm. um, shout out to I Am Collective. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. What would be really cool, and I'm gonna put this out there for when this is put out there, is to see I Am Collective and Authentically Indigenous come together and throw on a super event. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they're both the superpowers of of each city. You know what I mean? So for them to come together and throw on something together, that would be amazing. Yeah, I actually you met uh, I met the people with Authentically Indigenous at the awards ceremony that I attended this week. Yeah. Last week. Um, and they had said the same thing. Like, you know, I hadn't reached out to them because, um, well, I didn't really know them, right? I hadn't mm -hmm. reached out. I didn't know how some people view things. Like, are we competitors? Or like, what are we, right? You see us now. We've done a couple things. and. Um, they saw me and they approached me when I was at the event and they said, Hey, like we saw your event. We wanted to come out and network with you and meet you. And it's nice to see you. And we didn't know who you were. Right. And that was like, mm -hmm. very cool. And we talked about the same thing. Like, yeah, you know, they're very open, very welcoming. Cause if you go onto their page too, like they share all their vendors on their mm -hmm. page. And so it's not like they're holding anything back. Like they'll yeah. have emails, contact information oh, for yeah. everybody. Like, yeah. And so no, what it is, is and this is what I was talking to, uh, my good buddy Malreen, big shout out to you for throwing on all these events and doing this wonderful work, was that um, they have the the ground, you know, there. They have the, they, they've been doing it. They're, they're sturdy in the ground with, with what they, they have been doing. And they're successful with that. But what would make it even bigger is to hook up with somebody that's in a younger generation that's hooked up with TikTok and has um, you know, these ideas of having TikTok appearances and yeah. all these different things that, you know, we might not think of as, as an older generation, yeah. you know, so connecting with somebody that's younger is always important for new events and things that are happening. So I really hope to see that you guys work together in the future and, and build something amazing for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Coming soon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, and hire me as an <laughs> entertainer. Eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm playing too, eh? <laughs> yeah, pack, he does. He does. For, for a pack of smokes. <laughs> so don't smoke. Yeah, it's gonna have to be funny. Eh? But we did see that. We just recently went to Ontario to do um, the contact on tour showcases. We sat in on a few like round table discussions and that's what's missing from a lot of arts organizations is getting youth involved to help them promote their organizations. You have to somehow bring younger people to your events. So you've got to get a younger eye to try and get them in the door because yeah. the older people that run these organizations don't understand the new social media and they're totally open about that. They have no idea how it works. Yeah. But we're they part of that. Yeah, we are. Like we're totally part of that because we learn. They're like, well, if you want the under thirties, and then they're like, we know how to get the fifty to whatever. And we're like, what about like the forty year olds? Like, yeah, who's yeah, trying yeah. to get us going there? Because we're kind of halfway in between. We don't really understand TikTok, but 
you can reach us on Facebook. Yeah, and <laughs> Facebook is for old people, yeah. like young people say, right? So Not yeah. like a generation, when I was a kid, we didn't have that stuff, right? Yeah. So even for me, like when it first started coming out, like I hated it. Yeah. I didn't like going on my phone all the time. Even now, if you text me or message me on Facebook, do I reply? Like, it takes a while. It takes a while, yeah. And it's just for the fact that, like, well, as a kid, like, that wasn't the way. Like, you call or yeah. text. Like, not yeah. even text me. Don't text me. You don't call. Know. You call yeah. me. Like, that's how we talk, right? Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm in the middle, too, in a yeah. sense, where it's like, it's, um, yeah. It's but you understand real. what's happening. Oh, yeah. I know that. how to use it. I've yeah. kind of gained, so. I've, I've gained my head around that, like, that's how the world works now. Yeah. And then my wife is really good with that, too. Like, she well, keeps awesome. me organized. And yeah. I've been. I was looking for management, and like people to help me with that kind of stuff, and it's hard to depend on other people. Yeah, and I think that's a great team. You always depend on the yeah. mother of your child, right? Yeah. Your life partner, yeah. and so I think that's a good team. Big because, shout out to her. Yeah, because she's not on stage with you. Yeah. She has a different job. Yeah. You know, it's tough if you're you're on stage together. You're doing this together and that together. She has a slightly different job, but still is connected to your career. So yeah, and I'm yeah. very grateful to be able to actually support my family off of what I do yeah. for this this whole year. Yeah. Since nice. January, I haven't worked. I actually recorded people this year. Yeah, I've just awesome. been performing and speaking and doing things like that. And yeah. she's been debating getting a, a job to do that, but with childcare and things like that. Yeah, if I'm able, we're able to do it. Let's do it, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. man. So she helps sure. a lot with that. That's true. I, I believe that that is uh, true freedom. You know, is doing what you you love to do, and Absolutely. you know, and it's you know, I have one more. You know, before we, you know, it's been awesome to talk to you here today. Great and, to meet you. You know, and uh, I have one more project that I'm doing that I'd like to ask you about. In fact, and it's kind of a biggie. <laughs> <laughs> little last question. Um, we'll save the I, little ones for us. <laughs> I got a uh, a new documentary that I'm working on, and it's called uh, "In the Name of Father, Son, Grandmother, Moon," and it's talking about uh, religion and how it's divided, um, you know, certain people in communities. Like, for example, my community, um, there's the born again uh, people, there's the uh, Angelos, and then there's the traditional styles. So. Um, you know, they don't always get along and stuff. So I want to do a documentary on basically religion and stuff like that. So I just want to know what's your stance on, you know, what do you believe in? Do you believe in uh, the traditional way? What's your path and what's your experience with religion? I believe in myself. No, I'm just kidding. It's Tom Cruise, Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, like I believe in the creator, you know, yeah. like when I pray, I pray to the creator. Um, it's it's like, it's tough for me because growing up, like my grandmother was like, she went to residential school and she pushed Catholic religion on us and, you know, like going to school and signing up for public school. I remember my mom checking, oh, you're Roman Catholic. I'm like, what? Right. That was one of the things back then. And never really understood why we went to church on Christmas and things like that. And my mom was like, you know, my mom's not Catholic, but that's how my, that's how my cook'em, cook'em was, right? Growing up. Um, so it, it's really tough for me. And I think mm -hmm. like even now, especially for her, like it's something that she grew up believing in. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a really tough one for me. Like I believe in our traditional ways and I, there's so much I need to learn. Mm -hmm. Like I've, I've disconnected and I've stepped away for so long that, you know, there's certain th ceremony and things like that, that I, I'm looking forward to learning 
and you know attending in the future coming up but yeah just finding who I am really as a mm-hmm. person and finding what it is it's 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 a tough one right like mm-hmm. um, how did you feel when you were like like a young child in inside the church what was your your feelings confusion 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 I always because I grew up on the power trip you know what I mean like I grew up hearing about things and I was always I always like to believe that I was a lot more mature than a lot of the other kids around me because even now I remember thinking things that like you know they they made sense to me then you know what I mean Um, and just you know being like a single mother and living a life in poverty inner city things like that right you're exposed to a lot more Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, just I've always just remember feeling confused. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like, hearing things about residential schools. I've been hearing about this stuff since I was a kid. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I always remember that word assimilation in mm-hmm. social studies. Mm-hmm. Growing up was always a traumatizing word because I would have to say things like this to my teachers, and they would say, "Well, no, like this is we saved you guys," kind of thing. Like that's yeah. how it was, right? Yeah, we saved. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. The sense yes. that you would get, right? I'm lucky I never had a teacher say that to me. I'm not even kidding. I read, <laughs> the reason why that's in my head is because that was the vibe that I got. Like I was like, no, like we we saved the native people. Like yeah, you guys were like starving. You were wild. Even that, you know, that's a, that's funny because a lot of elders are saying we got to get rid of that world wild. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wild. Yeah, there is nothing wild. No, it's just what animals are it's just what humans are that that whole wild thing is a colonial way of thinking about animals yeah. is a colonial way of thinking about tribes that whole wild thing is should be done away with so it's it's interesting how um even in our conversations in our language we're, we're, we're changing um how we describe things you know so but yeah so that's uh i think that's basically you know where we're at and just one more thing Talk to us about your Changemakers Award and what you have going on for the upcoming future. Oh, cool. So big shout out to you, say, um, New Tribe Magazine. I was nominated for the Changemaker Award, which I had received last week, this past week. Um, I was nominated by um, by Sissy. Um, she nominated me for, like, the, for what I do with the Four Winds event and just kind of bringing the community together in Treaty 7 and how I'm trying to help create other opportunity for people out there. Um, it was really cool because she nominated me for the reasons of what she sees. Mm-hmm. And then she actually stayed at my house that night and got to actually hear a really in-depth version of my story mm-hmm. from like going through the streets and stuff like that, which I will be talking about more, mm-hmm. um, voicing out things like that. But she was like, I had no idea about that, about you like that, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. she's seen me as a, a influencer and things like that, but she doesn't know the real story. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm talking about struggles and, you know, going through the system and as a young, at a young age, like going to the jail system and things like that, right? Fighting my struggles through that. Um, but yeah, so I like to believe that like the change that I've really made is for myself. Like the self change that I've made has mm-hmm. really impacted others, right? Like, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to speak or do what I do without that self change. Like, I'd really be a toxic person still, or not even toxic person, but just I wouldn't be the role model that I believe I am today. Mm-hmm. And so that award really just made me proud of myself because, you know, like just knowing my story mm-hmm. and hearing what other people had to say about me and what other people had to think about me. It was really uplifted, really uplifted my spirit mm-hmm. and um, definitely like motivated me to release some of the new music I have coming up. Mm-hmm. 
currently working on a couple events right now. Four Winds will be looking to do something here November 11th and 12th coming up Ooh, shortly. Cool. Yeah, so just organizing that out. I won't release any of the juicy details yet till it's finalized, but look out for that. And then March, we're planning out our March one as well already. Okay, yeah, cool. It's my birthday in March. Yeah, mine as well. Yeah, yeah. We have a band together, me and him, so we'll have to oh, yeah. come out with a full band maybe yeah. to the show. Yeah, Yeah. no, I'm looking for yeah. looking for more entertainment, so. yeah. Yeah, because I've always done like a just an acoustic thing with you, but I have a full band and it sounds different. Yeah, it, so it's pretty cool, pretty hype. Yeah, for sure. I know we wanted to do that before, but <laughs> go ahead. I was gonna say it's good to hear you say that you're proud of yourself. Yeah, that's an important thing for indigenous men to be able to say. You know, like a lot of us have never said that before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, because we've been taught not to be. Yeah, yeah. So it's important for you to say that and. I'm glad you did. For yeah. sure. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'm like very grateful for the opportunity that I've been given to do what I do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like with again, with a lot of the lateral violence, it's not easy for Indigenous people to even break those cycles and break those barriers of becoming where they are. Some of the people I look up to face a lot of that and a lot of those struggles. And you know what I mean? Like I speak on a lot of like, I'm not the same person that I used to be. Mm -hmm. I'm not the same person I was yesterday. Every single day, I'm trying my best mm -hmm. to make those self changes. Yeah. Um, and I've just gotten to a point where, like, uh, I know I've always had good intention, but I've really just cycled out the good and the bad, and I know what I want. Like, I do it all for my family, and I do it all for, like, the people, the community, right? Mm -hmm. I want to see my Indigenous people shine, and I want to see more people like me in the future. Mm -hmm. When I'm older, I picture there being, like, you know, a bunch of young Indigenous influencers, hip-hop artists doing and speaking just like I did and some of the people that I look up to, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thanks for coming on, man, and uh, we look forward to seeing what you uh, have in store for the future. And this is what this podcast is about, is celebrating men's achievements, celebrating uh, boys' achievements, and, you know, you being in programs and, and knowing this, there's not very many programs for men or boys. Yeah. And so this is what this podcast is for, is to celebrate you know our achievements as brothers and as men so congratulations on everything you've done and for sure thank you for coming on sweet thank right you guys on. for having me want to give a big shout out to cousin skateboards one of my sponsors for skateboarding they go out hey. to indigenous communities they uplift the community through skateboarding and skateboard programs with their mobile skate parks and stuff like that so it's mm -hmm. an honor to be a part of that in Treaty 7, and uh, yeah, I'm sure you'll see more of them in the future. And how can people get a hold of you before we go? Uh, Facebook, Tony Tusick, that's T-O-O-S-I-C-K, it's all one word, not two words, um, or Tony Tusick on Instagram, and then, yeah, I'm very approachable. Just send me a message, add me as a friend. Yeah. Cool. He's taken, so. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Deadly Uncle Podcast. A safe space for Deadly Uncle Conversations.